Frank had seen similar puzzles, mostly in Hong Kong, products of the Chinese taste for making metaphysics of hard wood. But to the acuity and technical genius of the Chinese, the Frenchman had brought a perverse logic that was entirely his own. If there was a system to the puzzle, Frank had failed to find it. Only after several hours of trial and error did a chance juxtaposition of thumbs, middle, and last fingers bear fruit. An almost imperceptible click, and then victory. A segment of the box slid out from beside its neighbors. There were two revelations. The first, that the interior surfaces were brilliantly polished. Frank's reflection distorted, fragmented, skittered across the lacquer. The second, that Lemichant, who had been in his time a maker of singing birds, had constructed the box so that opening it tripped a musical mechanism which began to tinkle a short rondo of sublime banality. Encouraged by his success, Frank proceeded to work on the box more feverishly, quickly finding fresh alignments of fluted slot and oiled peg, which in their turn revealed further intricacies. And with each solution, each new half-twist or pull, a further melodic element was brought into play, the tune counterpointed and developed, until the initial caprice was all but lost in ornamentation. At some point in his labors, the bell had begun to ring, a steady, somber tolling. He had not heard it, at least not consciously. But when the puzzle was almost finished, the mirrored innards of the box unknotted, he became aware that his stomach churned so violently at the sound of the bell, it might have been ringing half a lifetime. He looked up from his work. For a few moments he supposed the noise to be coming from somewhere in the street outside, but he rapidly dismissed that notion. It had been almost midnight before he'd begun to work at the birdmaker's box. Several hours had gone by, hours he would not have remembered passing but for the evidence of his watch. Since then, there was no church in the city, however desperate for worshippers, that would ring a summoning bell at such an hour. No. The sound was coming from somewhere much more distant, through the very door, as yet invisible, which Lemachon's miraculous box had been constructed to open. Everything that Kircher, who had sold Frank the box, had promised of it was true. He was on the threshold of a new world, a province infinitely far from the room in which he sat. Infinitely far, yet now, suddenly, near. The thought had made his breath quick. He had anticipated this moment so keenly, planned with every wit he possessed this rending of the veil. In moments they would be here, the ones Kirscher had called the Cenobites, theologians of the Order of the Gash, summoned from their experiments in the higher reaches of pleasure to bring their ageless heads into a world of ruin and failure. He had worked ceaselessly in the preceding week to prepare the room for them, the bare boards had been meticulously scrubbed and strewn with petals. Upon the west wall he had set up a kind of altar to them, decorated with the kind of placatory offerings Kirscher had assured him would nurture their good offices. Bones, bonbons, needles. A jug of his urine, the product of seven days' collection, stood on the left of this altar, should they require some spontaneous gesture of self-defilement. On the right... A plate of dove's heads, which Kirscher had also advised him to have to hand. 